not to sound cheesy, but it's like anything is possible. You know, I think that um, when you when you set your mind to something and then um, and make a plan on how to get there, then you just like you just chip away at what the next step of the plan is, and you keep working up to um, you know the the next step on the staircase, basically. And um, it's amazing how far you can go. That's Kim Conley, and this is episode thirty-five of the Morning Shakeout podcast. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and this week, I've got two-time Olympian Kim Conley joining me on the podcast. Kim and I caught up this past weekend in New York after she finished fourth at the Dash to the Finish Line 5K, which doubled as the U.S. 5K Road Championships for 2018. A quick apology before we get into this conversation. There's a little bit of background noise. We recorded the episode in a busy and noisy hotel lobby, so that is what you're hearing, but... The quality is pretty good, so shouldn't be a problem. But just so you know ahead of time, there is a little bit of buzz. We covered a lot of ground here. We got into Kim's recent return to racing after dealing with some injury trouble and what she's taken away from that experience. We looked back at her marathon debut in 2016 and what she learned from that race. And on that note, why she's going to stay focused on the track through the 2020 Olympic cycle. We got into the state and strength of American women's distance running right now, as well as Kim's own progression in the sport from a good but not great high school and college runner to a two-time Olympian and professional athlete. We discussed her new upcoming biography. It's called Underdog. It comes out next spring. We got into her training situation in Sacramento and what it's like to be coached by her husband, Drew Wardenberg. And finally, what other runners can take away from her story. There's a lot here uh, and much more than what I just described. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with two-time Olympian, Kim Conley. All right, Kim Conley, we're here in a noisy hotel lobby in New York City. You just ran the New York Roadrunners Dash to the Finish Line 5K this morning, which doubled as the U.S. Championships. But we're here to chat, and welcome to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So let's start with this morning's race. First race in a while for you. Um, how'd it feel to be back out there? Yeah, it felt really good. It's been, um, you know, I'm coming off kind of a long injury cycle that went from 2017 and rolled into 2018, and then... Um, I've kind of been back on the racing circuit all summer and fall, but, uh, things have just kind of been slow to come together for me. Um, and I ran fifth Ave in September, which was a great opportunity and, and, you know, an experience I really wanted to have, but I was in way over my head in a world-class mile field. Um, so, you know, even though I felt like I had good training under my belt, that, that definitely wasn't a reflection, um, of that fitness. And then four weeks later, I ran the U.S. 10-mile championships and sprained my ankle three miles into the race, so I had a DNF there, and so again, there was no kind of like race result to, to validate the the progress I'd been making, and so finally here we are in New York, New York at the beginning of November, and I feel like I've I've put a race together that makes me feel like I'm uh, you know showing that I'm I'm coming back. Now you were fourth this morning. Emily Sisson just kind of blew people away toward the end. Take me through the race itself and just how you felt throughout it um yeah I, f- I felt pretty good um from the gun emily emily started pushing a little earlier than um i was <laughs> happy about um it would have been nice to, to to hang around longer um but you know she's she's really good about making an honest race for herself um and so she pulled away from the rest of the field right around a mile 
Um, and so then it was, a, you know, basically a, a battle for second place. And um, Erica Kemp and Amy Hastings pulled away from me um, just over like the last 800 when we got into the, the rolling hills of Central Park. Um, but I, I hung on for fourth place. Yeah. Does that leave you hungry for more? Not that there's a lot of racing left this year, but finally to just, even if this is your last race of the year, to end it on a somewhat positive note. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's, um, yeah, it definitely feels good to be back up in the mix in the front of a race. And, but yeah, I'm absolutely hungry for more and, um, you know, just getting really excited looking down at 2019 and 2020. Yeah. Let's back things up a bit. You just alluded to some injury issues that you've been dealing with since what, mid 20. 17 or so what happened most recently at the 10 mile championships oh well that you know i just stepped in a pothole um in the race and so you know it was just an ankle sprain that meant you know i couldn't run the rest of the race or you know i cross trained for the next three days but once it healed um then i turned the page and and didn't look back after that yeah and leading up to that what were some of the other issues that you were battling yeah so 2017 um i had planner and that was just leading to some other compensation issues, um, kind of starting with hamstrings because I was being very stubborn and just trying to um, put together a track season while, while I'll say dealing with planner, but really by dealing, I mean ignoring it. Um, and then, then I took some time for it and then I came back and it hadn't really gone away. And uh, again, being a little too stubborn, ended up um, tearing a ligament in the opposite foot again compensation issues so um, eventually I just had to really like step back get my body right from head to toe and and then move forward positively and you've been dealing with that frustration for the last year plus now and what's interesting about that is prior to 2016 basically from I mean from when I was first aware of you in 2008 when you left school all the way through say the Olympics in 2016 or even New York City Marathon that year you were pretty consistent as far as injury goes no real kind of major issues how challenging was that to deal with after such a long stretch of good health uh yeah really challenging um you know it's just it's just a very very frustrating injury um you know there were so many moments where i wished i had a stress fracture and could be put in a boot and you know told you need six weeks to heal and it'll heal and come back stronger um but just having no uh finish line in sight with it was just really challenging for me to deal with yeah soft tissue stuff is kind of frustrating in that way and that it just doesn't want to let you know when it's done yeah ailing you what else did you learn during that time that you're going to carry with you moving forward so that you can get back to that stretch of good health, which is important for consistent training and obviously performance? Definitely that I just have to do a better job of listening to my body. And, um, you know, there's that having that stubborn um, competitive side is, is so important in a race to make you a competitive athlete. Um, but outside of the racing zone i think i have to be uh, i have to let go of it a little bit and and be willing to to listen to my body and and back off in certain areas of training when when i need to and get little issues addressed so that they just don't um become bigger issues we're in new york new york city marathon is tomorrow morning you made your debut at this race two years ago since we're here let's rewind the clock a little bit that was your first and only marathon to this point what do you remember about it looking back two years? Well, I remember uh, sitting, you know, in this same bar after the race and just like being in shock almost at how hard it was. It was by far the hardest thing I'd ever done and um, the most humbling race experience of my life. Um, but then at the same time, it was like I was immediately struck with this kind of 
like itch or bug of like, man, like how do I crack it? Uh, and so um, it was definitely one of those races where, you know, I just felt like there were a few things to tweak, but I really, really wanted to take another shot. Um, so it's kind of, yeah, it's a, it's a funny memory because it was so hard um, and so painful. But at the same time, you're like, no, 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 I can do better than that. Yeah. Looking back, what were the biggest surprises about just racing the marathon? Um, well, almost in a way, like how predictably bad it was. Just, you know, all, all the things that people warned me about. And I thought like, no, I'll be smart. Like, you know, like so many people warn me about how bad a marathon can get if you if you don't approach it the right way um i really thought i would be a smart marathon racer in my debut and maybe if that went well then i might take a risk later on and blow up um but no i i was a total like track rookie out there and racing you know in miles eight nine ten and trying to like surge up to the pack and just running you know running way faster than my scripted marathon pace um and by the time I got to halfway, uh, I was already in a world of hurt and, and somehow trudged to the finish line. Is there another one in your future or do you think there will be anytime soon or are you going to wait even longer before uh, you go I, back? I don't think there will be one anytime soon, but certainly there will be one in my future. Um, you know, I think just coming off this injury cycle, I feel like between now and 2020, the Olympic trials, um, I just don't feel like I have the time anymore to master it the way I would want to, to be competitive and, and to make a team. You know, when when I look at the trials, it's like I want to finish in the top three. And, and so right now I feel like trying to do that on the track is probably um, a better bet for me. Um, so I'm looking at focusing on the track for the remainder of this Olympic cycle. And But then um, after 2020, I definitely want to take another stab at the marathon. Yeah, and you've made two Olympic teams now, both in the 5,000 meters. Do you still consider that your event or are you going to be a little more flexible going into 2020? Well, I will definitely be flexible. My, my experience in 2016 taught me that I have to be flexible because I was um, dead set on running the 10,000 meters in Rio and then my shoe came off in the Olympic trials in the 10,000 and so luckily I, I happened to have the standard in the 5,000 and was able to come back and make the team in the 5,000. Um, but that definitely taught me that it's, it's good to have an open mind and you know anything can happen and just you know Keep, keep all your options open, basically. Yeah. Let's talk about the state of American distance running since you made your first Olympic team in 2012, which on one hand doesn't seem all that long ago. And then when I think about it, I'm like, wow, that was two Olympic cycles ago now. And you're still, you know, you're still in the mix. And obviously things have gotten a lot more competitive around you. What is it going to take to make the Olympic team on the track in 2020? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. It has, um, you know, just, you know, as you were saying that, my my mind was starting to whirl through like, man, like I remember, you know, when Molly was the American record holder in the 5,000 and then Shannon was the American record in the 5,000 and now Shelby Houlihan is the American record in the 5,000. And, um, you know, I remember back then in like 2012, 2013, thinking that we would get to a place in American distance running where, um, you know, where there would be like different women in the mix vying for, for those kind of times. Um, but it's come to fruition and it's really excited, exciting to see, um, and, you know, in terms of, like, predicting what it'll take, that's just so hard to say. I I feel like when you're two years out like we are, um, it's kind of impossible to, to see who will be in the mix, whether it's people that are just coming out of college now or whether it'll be, you know, the veterans that, that know how to make teams and have done it before. And, you know, you look at somebody like Shannon Robury who, um, you know, just had a baby and but now is training again. It's like I would never, ever count Shannon Robury out. 
Um, so it's hard to say. We'll see. Um, and then the other crazy thing about the Olympic trials is some anything can happen. Um, and so you, and know, you know that better exactly. than anyone. <laughs> I know that very well. Um, so yeah, I think you you go there with an open mind and ready to duke it out. Yeah. So let's talk about that anything can happen at the Olympic trials. I was there in 2012 when you made the team with what to me, and I'm not just telling you this because you're here, it was still one of the most exciting races I've ever watched, just given the magnitude of it. And I just remember the look on your face when you realized that you had made the team and you had hit the standard, which was a PB for you at the time. You're smiling here as I'm describing <laughs> that moment. Take me back to it. Um, when you came charging down that final straightaway in Eugene, Oregon to make the team, what was going through your yeah, mind? I mean, that that last uh, like 150 meters that race, it it really just felt like a culmination of, of years um, of preparation for that moment. And um, yeah, it still just makes me so happy to, to look back and think that, you know, so many little pieces came together for that one really, really special moment that basically came down to 0.04 seconds, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it had been this kind of big journey from graduating from UC Davis in 2009. And, um, you know, I had a PR of 16, 17 then. So almost a minute slower than the Olympic standard. Um, and really just focusing on getting better. I just had, you know, kind of personal goals along the way. Like, you know, when I first started out after college, the, the purpose really was like, I'm not happy that I'm not a sub 16, 5,000 meter runner. And so that's all I was focused on is like, Oh, like I'm going to begin my coaching career, but you know, I'm still young and, and healthy and fit. And I really want my PR to be 1550 something. So that's all I was focused on the first year. And then the second year out of college, I wanted to lower my 1500 PR because um, I'd never broken 420 in college. Um, and so I did. I ran 419. And then a few weeks later, I had a huge breakthrough and ran 412. And so all of a sudden, I was kind of emerging, um, you know, as as kind of like, you know, one of the, I don't know, not certainly not like a contender for any teams at that point, but as, as kind of like one of the better American runners um, on the scene. Not not really like sub-elite anymore, I guess. And so then that fall in 2011, that's when I started coming over to the East Coast to some of the U.S. championship road races and, and finishing on the podium. Um, so that was a really big step forward for me. Um, and so then in 2012, it was kind of like about bringing all those moments together, um, you know, lowering the 5,000 PR, having the the speed that it really brought down that 1500 PR and then just learning how to race um, against other Americans and finish on a podium. And so then, you know, that translated onto the track where I was able to nab that third spot. And that's the amazing thing about that moment, watching it from the outside. It was a shock on some level, but at the same time, it looked like it'd been something that you'd certainly practiced and dreamed about and almost like rehearsed in your head, like I'm going to make the Olympic team by the skin of my teeth sort of at, at the last second, even though you had this shocked look on your face. Um, had you had moments leading up to those trials where, you know, you saw that type of scenario where you're like, I'm, you know, I'm certainly not a favorite to make the team, but I'm going to try to find a way to squeak in there. Yes. I mean, I, I think I'd visualized thousands of times a close finish like that because, you know, I, I certainly never saw myself like winning by a long shot. Um, I, I guess what I've admitted in there is that whenever I daydreamed about the race, I was actually winning the race. Um, but <laughs> top three felt like winning that day. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, I had, I had done a lot of, um, 
you know, like structured vis visualization about trying to make the Olympic team, but then also just, you know, it was just such a dream. And so it was just one of those things where, you know, when you're out on a run alone or, or, you know, going to bed at night and when your head hits the pillow, it's like, that's what I was thinking about is like, you know, just this crazy dream of like, what, what if I could do it? Or, you know, what if I can try to, you know, be competitive in this race or, or win this race? Um, and, and so, yeah, I had visualized the, the close finish and then I've always just kind of enjoyed messing around in that way. You know, when I race, like when I was a kid racing my brother and sister or, um, in the years right after college, when I was a coach at UC Davis, I would run with the men's team. And so we used to sprint into the track sometimes and we'd have like photo finishes across the gate into the track. And so, um, I've done a lot of leaning at the end of kind of like pretend races. And so I think that you know, certainly wasn't planned to lean at the line, um, but it's something that was kind of like deep within me. It's almost an automatic reflex exactly. at that point. Yes. Let's go past the 2012 trials. What were the months, weeks and months like after making the Olympic team? Was it sort of surreal in a way where you're like, holy crap, I just made the Olympic team and now like I'm going to be able to do this for, you know, another few years? Yeah, it was totally surreal. Um, you know, there were just so many new experiences that came right away, such as, you know, signing the contract, um, but also going over to Europe and racing. That, that was something that um, without a contract, it just never made sense Can't to do, do before. Yeah, yeah. To, to pay for it yourself, especially when there are good domestic opportunities to go on the roads and try to actually earn money. Um, so I'd never been to Europe before to, to race on the track circuit there. And so that was a really exciting experience. Um, and I think, yeah, I... I I don't think it was really sunk in at all um, until I was in London and walking in the opening ceremonies. And that's when you know, I just remember walking into the stadium um, and there are 80,000 people packed in the stands and just like the roar of the crowd as I entered, you know, and we're just walking along the track, waving up, you know, at the crowd. And I'm just thinking like, I'm really here at the opening ceremonies of the Olympics. This is something I've only ever watched on TV and and when I was watching on TV I four years and eight years prior like it wasn't even something I was realistically dreaming about doing myself and so it just um, that was really a, like an amazing moment yeah it's almost hard to visualize yourself in that situation until you're actually in that situation right. like this is what it's like <laughs> yes um, making the team especially in your case first one that's a big weight off of your shoulders like I've achieved this goal that I've been dreaming about for a long time and in some sense the hard part's over but then you got to race the Olympics and in your case being your first Olympic Games I'd love to hear more about your mindset after the opening ceremonies and all that when it was like oh crap now I've got to race it's not just pomp and circumstance but now I'm racing against the best runners in the world on the world's biggest stage was that extra nerve-wracking for you or were you able to normalize it in some way um, I think, yeah, I mean, I definitely, there were definitely added nerves. Um, and then, uh, and I remember before the race, when I was out on the warm up track, uh, the, the rounds of the 200 were going on. And so it was when Usain Bolt had stepped onto the track and the noise that erupted from the stadium. And I was just like a little bit shaken. Like, I can't believe I'm really going in there in a minute to race. Um, and so I was definitely nervous, but then when I stepped on the track, I remember just like focusing on the ground and looking at the actual surface of the track and and remembering my first 5,000 ever, which was in high school in like a local summer all-comers meet series at Sonoma State University. 
Um, and I just, you know, I just remember saying to myself, like, it's just a track. It's just 12 and a half laps, just like I've been doing year after year after year. Um, and so I kind of just grounded myself in that moment and, and went for the ride. Yeah. I think you finished 12th in your heat yeah. that year in 2012. What were your thoughts on your race at that point? You didn't advance the Olympic final, so I'm sure it was disappointing on some level. But take me through kind of your postmortem of your first Olympic experience. Yeah, it was um, it was bittersweet. You know, it I, I ran 15:14, which was another five seconds off my PR, and so um, you know I felt like I'd given it my best shot. Um, but at the same time, it you know it was disappointing not to be in the final, and and there was that piece of me that wondered because I was just like I just I was on this roll of PRing all the time. And, you know, the, so those last two PRs, they'd come in championship settings. And so it made me wonder, like, maybe I have even more in me. Like, you know, did I, you know, you just, I just questioned the way I'd approached it. You know, had I, had I been a little too scared? Had I not been assertive enough? Um, and so um, I wasn't, you know, I was kind of one of those situations where you're like, well, like, I can't be unhappy because I just PR'd again and I'm at the Olympics and this is just such a dream come true. But at the same time, it, it mostly just made me leave feeling like really uh, hungry and excited for what the next four years were hold. And um, I just remember leaving London feeling really, really motivated uh, to, to get back to the Olympic stage and, and be better. Yeah. And after you had reached that point, in your career, making the Olympic team huge breakthrough for you. What did that do for your confidence as an athlete going into not even necessarily the next Olympic cycle, but just coming off of the Olympics, be like, you know what? I made the Olympic team. I ran in the Olympics. I set a PR. What's next? Yeah, I I think it uh, totally raised the bar um, and and changed my perspective on myself basically and, and where I stood in the sport and uh, so I made the world championship team in 2013 to go to the world championships in Moscow and and I really don't think I would have made that team if I hadn't made the team in 2012 because it was just it was, it was a cutthroat race at USA's um, and it was you know we just like duked it out all the way to the finish and I squeaked on the team again um, and I just think I did it because that's what the expectation was and you know I'd made the team in 2012 and so at that point it was like well there's no other option but to make the team um, and, and, and so I managed to pull it out and do it um, but it was just like yeah it was just a very different feeling uh, in 2013 suddenly it was like all I felt was relief yeah and fast forwarding a couple of years from that to the 2016 trials you made the team again you had described earlier how you wanted to make it in the 10,000 lost your shoe weren't able to do that you know, regrouped, ran the 5,000, made the team. Did you go into that Olympic trials with a feeling of extra pressure, just given that you had made the team in 2012, that you made world teams, and now, you know, on some level, you were considered a favorite to make the team or someone who's favored to make the team, I should say. Yeah, I, um, there, it was very different. In a, in a way, I was a lot more confident than in 2012. Um, but at the same time, yes, there is that uh, added pressure, and, and it's really an internal pressure. Um, just yeah, because you you have a different expectation for yourself um, when you when you've already been at a certain level. Um, so yeah, I it was it was different. I mean, making I guess we, because of the mishap in the ten thousand, it it kind of still created a special moment for me in the five thousand in terms of just you know feeling like all right, I did it. I'm going. Um, this totally went off script, but this is the Olympic trials, and I feel like you nothing didn't let it goes rattle you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so 
you know, I just really like I, what I really focused on was just enjoying the whole process. Um, and after not making the team in the 10,000, when I'd been planning, I'd, I really went to the trials thinking I'm going to make the team in the 10,000. I'm going to leave Eugene, go straight to altitude, not even stay for the rest of the Olympic trials. So when we went off that path, um, I just wrapped my arms around the idea that I got got to stay in Eugene for that extra time, and you know, got to see more people from New Balance, and um, you know, just all you know, all the track people that I love to be around. So I just kind of you know told myself that it was going to be fun and that it was a good thing. Yeah. So how are you able to kind of keep yourself just centered and calm in that type of situation where you get thrown a curveball? Um, you know, I think it it helped to just have kind of my support network around me. Um, and so, you know, Drew, my husband coach, like he was there, he, he did a really good job of just saying like, all right, like new plan. Um, the sports psychologist I work with, Paul Solitsky, he also was in Eugene, um, which turned out to be <laughs> excellent. Um, so that, you know, he could just like help me kind of reframe my thinking. And, um, cause the biggest obstacle I was having in that moment was like reminding myself that I didn't actually have a bad race in the 10,000, you know, my shoe came off. Um, it's out of your control. Yeah. The top four women got away. And so it was like I'd made the right decision to step off the track. But it's so hard mentally to DNF. You just there's just always like doubts um, that that surround it. And so I had to really like, you know, work with him to let that go and, and just regroup and, you know, remember that I was fit and I was ready to make the team in the 10. And, and therefore, I was ready to make the team in the five. Um, and then my family was also there and, and they managed to rebook everything so they could stay longer. Um, and so we just, you know, spent time together just trying to, um, have, you know, have fun and, and be calm. Yeah. And going into the 5,000 after that with everything that transpired, your family rebooking their own plans, did you feel this sense of, not that you can't let them down, but I've got all this support. There's no reason why I can't make good of this situation. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and that, um, yeah, I think that that can be really, really empowering to, to feel like you have that support. I, I'm definitely an athlete that thrived in team settings and in team sports. Um, and, and so I think that's something I've had to create for myself in, in the world of professional running where, um, it's, you know, it's all about the individual. Um, but so I like to feel like I have a team around me and that my performances are about something more than just me. Yeah, let's talk about that for a bit. After 2012, this group called NorCal Distance started to form, and you had other women who were at that same level as you training together, and that dissolved recently. But for you, how important was it to create that after the 2012 trials? Yeah, I... Um I really, really enjoyed um, um, being surrounded with other women and, and kind of like helping to, um, you know, show them the path. And, and there were a lot of great moments, um, like Lauren Wallace in 2015 won a U.S. indoor title and um, she had graduated from UC Davis a few years after me. And so that was just like, you know, that was one of those like really high points where it was um, just really fun to, to have a training partner that was excelling. And then, and you know, another big component in 2016 was... Kate Grace won the Olympic trials in the 800. Um, and so after that mishap with my shoe in the 10,000, watching her win the 800, um, it was just so thrilling. You know, I, I felt like, or maybe, maybe I, I guess I'll say I still feel like that was like the second most exciting moment of my life behind making the team myself in 2012. Um, and so once she did that, I was like, just resolute it kind of switched my thinking from like oh man like I didn't make it in the 10,000 like somehow I got to do this in the 5,000 to suddenly like 
whoa, like Drew and Kate are going to Rio. I have to go to Rio. Yeah. Um, so it was just, that was, that was really, really fun. Um, and yeah, like you said, the, the team dissolved in at the end of 2017. Um, and that was really, that's, that was really hard for me. Um, I was really, really disappointed. Uh, and it was just uh, a lot of different reasons. Lauren retired, for example, there were a couple athletes that retired, um, and Kate moved on to a different training group. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I was definitely disappointed, but, um, moving forward now and I have a new training partner, um, Stephanie Garcia, that's just moved to Sacramento and she's a great steeplechaser. Um, and we've been friends for a long time. So, um, I'm really loving having her there and, and excited to move forward with her. Yeah. And I want to get into that here in a bit, but rewinding to 2017, as we talked about earlier, you started having some injury trouble at that time. The team started to dissolve, which you had just described was, you know, kind of a hard moment for you to to deal with how related do you think those two things were because you know the psychological definitely affects the the physiological and vice versa um do you think like you know yeah you're dealing with some injury issues but also you don't have that team kind of to rely on and you're you know, maybe upset that it's starting to to fall apart do you think that might have slowed some of the process down of of being able to heal that's a great question um and yeah i mean certainly something that i wondered because because it did take me so long to heal and and i was um you know yeah i was emotional and 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 sad about the team um ending and so yeah i mean i i guess part of part of my answer is i mean i don't know how you could ever like quantify anything like that but but yes i do suspect that that you know kind of like the whole kind of dark dark phase i was in there um it was all related yeah Steph just joined the team. She's in a completely different event than you. How do the two of you work together? And I know this is a relatively recent thing, but how do the two of you work together to push one another to new levels? Yeah, I mean, so she just moved out. So, um, you know, that's that's something that we'll kind of be embarking on now together because um, she's definitely at the front end of a training cycle and, and I was getting ready for this race. Um, but, but we're really looking forward to it. She, um, like I said, she primarily a steeplechaser, but she's run a great 5,000 and she has a great 1500 PR. Um, and actually out of all the training partners I've ever had, really in terms of our PRs, we're the most closely matched and, and she's probably the best training partner I've ever had. Um, and so, yeah, we're both just really, really excited about being able to, to overlap and, and use our strengths um, to push each, push each other. So you've been in the Sacramento area since you've been at school at Davis, which is right outside of Sacramento. You go off to altitude now and then for training camps, but you've stayed pretty grounded in Sacramento. What's kept you there? Um, you know, I've really, I've built a good support team around me and, and now I think it would be, um, really, really hard for me to leave it. Um, you know, I just, I have great, um, great chiropractor that I work with, great massage therapist that I work with. Um, like I mentioned earlier, the sports psychologist I work with. Um, and then I really, really love the American River Parkway where I train. I just think it's, um, it's ideal for the type of training, a uh, like professional distance runner wants to do. Um, and so I'm just, I'm very comfortable with, um, kind of the whole structure of, of the way I do business there. Cool. Let's rewind quite a ways now to early, early days. Um, you grew up in Santa Rosa. I know it well cause it's north of where I live. You went to high school there. Sarah Hall, Ben Bay was one of your high school teammates. I do want to get into that. What was your introduction to the sport of running? So I joined the Santa Rosa Express uh, Track Club when I was 12, um, and it was just 
it was to do a spring sport basically I played soccer in the fall and I played basketball in the winter um, and then I continued running in junior high for my junior high Slater middle school um, and and that's where I really started to fall in love with it um, you know I just I loved going out onto the trails um, and you know I loved my coaches and I loved kind of like the, the friendliness of that type of team um, the cross-country team and the track team um, and then moving on to high school my freshman year that's when Sarah was my teammate she was a senior um, and the captain and and that was just the most tremendous introduction to running because we had such a great team and um, she was one of the best runners in the country yeah at the time. so that year she won her fourth state title in a row um, and then went on to win footlocker nationals um, she was also just a great teammate and leader and, and really brought the team together and, and made us believe in ourselves and, and we went on to win the state championship that year as a team um, and so that just you know that just made me love the sport so much it was just such a great experience um, and so that's kind of that's really when I fell in love with it and was just surrounded by great people that um, you know I think I knew by the time I was 15 that I was going to be a lifelong runner and I certainly didn't think back then that that would mean being a professional runner um, but I always saw myself as an adult you know going out for Sunday long runs and, and jumping in local 5ks yeah for you when was that first hint of competitive success where you thought man I I've got some talent at this or I could be pretty good at this or that you remember just racing or winning being exciting and something that you wanted to continue to pursue well so my sophomore year um so we'd won state as a team my freshman year and then my sophomore year when I made it back to state and I and Sarah had gone on to Stanford and um I had actually stepped into kind of like the number one position on the team um I had a great race at State in Woodward Park that year. Um, it was terrible, terrible weather, uh, just pouring rain. The course got muddy, um, and somehow I plowed my way through it to a fourth-place finish. And um, so I think finishing fourth at State as a sophomore was when I started to realize, like, oh, like I'm, like, I'm pretty good at this. Yeah. What can be done, maybe for you as a professional athlete, but just in general, to keep middle school, high school kids excited about the sport and keep them interested in it beyond just when they're in high school? Oh, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think the that middle school, high school age, like, you just have to build that foundation of love for the sport. Um, and so I think, you know, I think if it's too structured, um, then... It, there's like a difference between running and training and, and obviously to to be you know a good athlete and and have a good team there has to be some like serious training um but i think if there also has, has to be enough of the just like running and having fun and and being social over it um so that they they learn that it's you know something they want to carry into the rest of life and um, you know, I think it's so cool when when people, you know, whatever age, you know, teenage or adults are like want to get together and catch up with friends and then they're going out and they're actually like going for a run or, or going mountain biking or something. And they're being able to, um, you know, be out in nature and, and doing something kind of physical activity. But that's what they're actually doing as their social um, piece as well. Yeah. What do you tell young girls who reach out to you and they're inspired by your own journey and they want to be say the next Kim Conley they want to maybe try to make a, an Olympic team someday like, what advice do you give to those kids uh, you know I like to tell them to just focus on the process 
um, you know, because for me there, you know, there wasn't there wasn't the individual state title, and I never even made it to NC2As um, when I was in college on the track. Um, but but I PR'd every single year for for 16 straight years. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's what kept me in the sport really was that I was always improving and I, and I always saw the next rung on the ladder that I could go get. Um, and then I really enjoyed that process of just self-improvement. Yeah. Good things take time. Yeah. You went to Davis. It's not a big school, certainly not, you know, Stanford, it's not a national powerhouse, I believe. Are they still division two? They were division two when I was there. <laughs> they're division one now. Yeah. They're division one now. So, but it's, you know, smaller division one school. Do you think it, helped your career eventually I mean long term looking back to not have been the big star in high school and not have had a lot of attention on you in college so that you could develop at your own speed yeah that's a great question I mean yeah I've, I've often wondered like what you know what would have been different if I'd um you know done you know maybe like train differently or you know achieve something you know a little bit better in high school but ultimately um, I'm so happy with where I've ended up that I don't really question the path that got me here. Um, and so, you know, since, since I'm sitting here today with you and, and going by way of UC Davis is what got me here, um, then, yeah, I, th- I think it definitely was the right choice. Yeah, it was the right path for yep. your specific yeah. journey. And it's important, I think, regardless of what path you're on, to just embrace it and trust in it and, you know, know that you don't have to check specific boxes to get to a certain place. You just never know where your own path is going to lead. Absolutely. I mean, that's another thing that I tell high school kids when they're, you know, thinking about uh, running in college at the next level is there's a place for everybody to run. You know, you you don't have to end up at Stanford or UCLA or Cal to to continue running. You know, there, you know, you could go to any size school in any division if if running, you want running to be a part of, you know, the next step of your journey. Um... So, yeah, I think that, you know, there, there are lots of examples of athletes that have come from different backgrounds. So, as we've talked about throughout the course of this conversation, you've had a very, we'll say, unlikely path to get where you've been. You're a two-time Olympian, arguably one of the best runners in the country, but you're still not, I think a lot of people don't consider you a favorite. And, in fact, you're working on a book that's going to come out next year, and it's called The Underdog. Do you like that? moniker um would you embrace it i embrace it now um i i definitely had a phase um where i realized like i i played this underdog role and i was like man i want to like crack out of it and be the top dog um but uh, just you know i i think sometimes i think i'm able to pull out my best performances when my back's against the wall um and so you know i'm, I'm just learning to embrace that um you know that's just kind of part of my path yeah Let's talk about the book a bit. Where did the idea for it come from? So Tom Flynn uh, reached out to me at the end of last year, uh, and it was his idea. Um, he's a writer that I've known for a few years. I think I first met him. He did a piece on me for the Wall Street Journal in 2014, um, and he had watched me win the 3,000 at Milrose in 2014. Um, so he'd been kind of a fan and followed since then. Um, so he reached out to me with the idea that he wanted to, to write a biography and would I, you know, be willing to be the subject. Um, and I was really flattered and, and pretty surprised um, just, you know, because, well, Shalane had just won New York. 
Um, so, you know, I was kind of thinking on that level. And, and so I was kind of thinking like, really, you want to write a book about me? Um, but yeah, I was really, really honored. And um, so we began working on it in January with weekly interviews. Um, then he came out to California and visited at the end of June. And then we went to interviews twice a week after that. Um, and I just have like opened up everything from, you know, all my old journals to running logs and, you know, just kind of like working through all the like pivotal moments in my career. Um, it's been really, really fun to look back and especially like we talked about in, in a phase where, um, you know, I was coming off injury and, and losing my teammates. Um, you know, it was just like really good for me, I think, to be able to like go through that process and look back and it's helping me move forward. Was it cathartic in any way? Absolutely. Yeah. Looking and looking back at that while you were dealing with, you said the injury and the and the teammates, did it reinforce anything for you to go back and look at your journey and what got you to where you were? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, you know one thing that was really interesting to me was I was I was prolific about writing my journal in ninth grade particularly, um, and I definitely didn't send them all my ninth grade journal entries. Don't worry, uh, nothing about the boys, <laughs> but. Um, it, all the running stuff was really interesting. I was so focused on the process back then without anybody telling me that, you know, that's the way it should be or that you have to have like, you know, a growth mindset or anything like that wasn't even a concept back then. Um, but uh, you know, I was just like set a goal and then set a goal of 510 for the mile my freshman year and started out the season with a 538. And so you kind of like watch through my journal entries over that year, me like chipping away at that goal. Um, and kind of working slowly towards it, and and I just missed it. I ran 5:11, but um, but it was just really cool to watch it unfold, and um, and I felt like kind of reflected my whole journey that's that's come since. Um, so it was kind of interesting to see that was kind of like inherently in me the ability to just like kind of like get in the zone and chip away at something. Yeah. Did it provide any renewed excitement to look back at those early journals from high school and how excited you were like kind of getting into the sport and being competitive and like looking up to someone like Sarah and it almost like not that you needed a rekindling at this point of your life, but did it excite you for the rest of what's to come in your career? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and also, uh, that whole phase from graduating from UC Davis to making that first Olympic team, like, um, you know, delving into that, those chapters, um, yeah, made me really excited for, for the, you know, what's to come from now. Cause it's like, man, like, you know, I was starting there at, with a 16, 17 PR and look how far, um, I was able to come in three years and it just made me excited to, to get into like a, another consistent phase where I'm just able to like chip away and, and make breakthroughs. Yeah. And building off of that, making the Olympic team in 2012, you became pretty much full-time professional right after that. And you've been a professional for five plus years going on. I guess it'd be six now. Um, what has been the most surprising part for you about being a professional athlete? Interesting question. <laughs> um, because I think a lot of people think of professional athlete as you just need to go out and train and perform, which you obviously do, but it's so much more than that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think probably the most surprising thing is just like the variety of perceptions that are out there about professional running. Um, you know, on on the one hand, you get a lot of people that are like a professional runner. What's that? You know, like you can you can earn a living or like, no, what's your real job? You know, don't, don't even believe it. Um, but then on the other hand, you get some people that are like, you're going to drink that glass of wine. You're a professional athlete. <laughs> it's like, well, no, I'm, I'm kind of a normal person, too. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, it's just interesting to see that um, 
there just isn't really like a set concept. Yeah. I'd like to dig into training a little bit just because I'm interested in that sort of thing. You've worked with your coach and husband, Drew Wartenberg, now for I think over 10 years. Yeah, it's 10 years now. And he's guided your progression as an athlete. How has your training evolved over that time period? Yeah, um, well, it's certainly like, you know, when we first started working together, he came to Davis when I was a fifth year at Davis. So that was, um, you know, way different, I'll say, because it was a collegiate model. Um, so I was preparing for different things. And, you know, you're also dealing with, you know, the demands of class and just kind of like a college schedule, you know, like you have set weight room hours and stuff like that that just aren't flexible. Um, but you know, in the years since then, um, you know, as I, as, as I became a professional runner, then, you know, the priorities shift. And so then every day, you know, the number one thing you do all day is training. Um, and so it's, first it was about just like learning to structure everything else around training so that you're developing this mindset where, you know, like what I do is train and like, you know, anything else I'm going to do is, is kind of like built around that. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, we've increased volume over the years. Um, and then, and then we've just learned also to think in terms of Olympic cycles. And, and that was like a interesting adjustment. Um, and, and it, when I look back, it started right after college, but I, it didn't start for me until I made the team in 2012. And then I realized like he had been thinking that way all along because when I graduated, he laid out a three year plan that took us to the trials. And I remember in 2009 him saying like, I want to have you at the Olympic trials in 2012, like is running the best 5,000 meters you've ever run in your life. You know, he didn't, you know, it would have been outlandish to say back then that, you know, you're going to try to make the make team. Make the team, right. Um, but, you know, he was definitely of a mind that like, you know, whatever that means in 2012, you're like, we're going to have you ready to run just the best 5,000s you've ever run. Um, and so then since then, it's just been about learning how to like, you know, work backwards from four years away and then set down like goals that, that get you there. Yeah. And from like an X's and O's perspective, has your volume sort of gradually increased over that time? Have you shifted sort of the focus of training year in and year out, depending on what you're training for? Like, where do you think you've made the biggest improvements and, and what would you attribute that to? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it kind of depends now, like what, which phases we're talking about, but, um, you know, I would say that yes, increasing mileage, like into the nineties, that was kind of a, a big development, but we've also, um, you know, maximized other angles like using the weight room more effectively. Um, and you know, and just like nutrition and, and they're all kind of small things, but I think the biggest thing has just been consistency and, and having all that add up over years, um, is really where you start to see the big breakthroughs, you know, and then, you know, the, the exception I would say is like when I trained for New York, then, then my mileage was a lot bigger. I, you know, i ran a thousand miles in 10 weeks, you know, and so, you know, that was different, but that's not the norm. Yeah. Kind of a personal question, but being coached by your husband, how do you keep the peace in the household or keep the balance when, you know, your job is professional athlete and he is guiding you on that path, but you know, you're also a couple. Yeah. Um, well, I don't, I don't, I guess I'll say I don't really know if there is balance and I don't mean that in a negative way. And I don't know, maybe some people would see that negatively, but I don't, um, I guess part of being a, a distance runner and a professional athlete is that, 
it is it, it's what you're doing 24 7 um and and i love it i love that lifestyle and and luckily i found someone who also loves it and loves that lifestyle and so um you know we just we see each ourselves as a team which i think you know every marriage sees themselves as a team that's what you are um but for us that um carries over in into what we do kind of as a vocation as well but um you know we both love it and we're both really happy that we get to share the journey together yeah what's exciting you about running as a sport right now oh um like for me personally or in general oh i'm um you know after missing this last track season I'm so excited to get back on the track. Um, and, you know, so I, I'm not sure what's coming next immediately on my schedule, but um, I'm definitely doing a lot of daydreaming about indoors um, and then USA's next year and, and trying to get to the world championships. Yeah. And you plan on continuing your career as a professional athlete for quite a while now, I would assume. Yeah. Yeah. No so plans I, to stop anytime soon. Nope. I, um, yeah, I'd like to be on the track, um, for the next couple of years. And then, um, yeah, I mean, if I can, if I can make a marathon career, you know, up till 2024, like that, you know, I think that would be great. Yeah. You've done some road racing. You did some road racing this morning. You did the marathon two years ago. What's the difference between racing on the roads versus racing on the track? I think the biggest difference uh, is managing a course. Um, and so, you know, the track is the same everywhere. I mean, you know, and obviously there's a little bit of a difference between indoors and outdoors. But um, with road racing, like so much of the preparation, you know, goes into the specifics of the course. Um, and so, you know, I, I know there are some people, you know, I look at like Molly Huddle and she does such an amazing job of just like flitting back and forth between the track and the roads. Um, and I've just never really felt like I have the same ability to do that. I feel like I really like, you know, I look at a course like today that's net uphill and, and we did so many repeats that were net uphill in preparation. Um, I just, I really like to have that kind of like race specific preparation that's preparing me for the demands of a course. Okay. Last question. We've covered your story over the course of this conversation. You've got a whole book coming out about it next year, as we had talked about. What do you hope people take away from your story? Um, yeah, I, I think after the experience in 2012 um, and, and even kind of the way way things unfolded in 2016, um, you know, it's it's the Kind of, not to sound cheesy, but it's like anything is possible. You know, I think that um, when you when you set your mind to something and then um, and make a plan on how to get there, then you just like you just chip away at what the next step of the plan is, and you keep working up to um, you know the the next step on the staircase, basically. And um, it's amazing how far you can go. I think that's a great takeaway. Thanks so much for the time. This was super fun. Thank you. All right, that does it for this week's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. You can let me know what you thought by firing a tweet in my direction. That's at Mario Fraioli, M-A-R-I-O-F-R-A-I-O-L-I, or at the AM Shakeout. Either one works just fine. A few more things before we wrap up. One, if you are digging the podcast and you want to help more people find it so that they can enjoy it, simply go to your podcast app, subscribe to The Morning Shakeout, and leave a rating and a review. Simple as that. It'll take you less than a minute, but it goes a long way and it means a lot to me. Thank you to everyone who has done so already. Number two, are you subscribed to my weekly newsletter? It covers running and a whole slew of other worthwhile topics. You're not? Well, what are you waiting for? Go to themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe and we'll land in your inbox next Tuesday morning. 
You won't regret it, I promise. And third, if you would like to support the show directly, you can do so via Patreon at themorningshakeout.com slash support. To all of my current patrons, your recurring pledges make this show possible, and I cannot express my gratitude enough. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And finally, I'd like to give a special shout out to John Summerford of BearsRecords.com. He takes care of all my audio editing needs and helps this show sound as good as it does week in and week out. Thank you, John. All right, that's all I've got for you. Until next time, I'm Mario Fraley, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Thank you.